0: welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. is my child traumatized or are they pathologically demand avoidant or both this is a great question it's one i had myself five years ago although i had never heard of pathological demand avoidance and today i'm going to provide you a free training on this question i feel like i'm literally speaking to the woman me five years ago who was asking this question. So I'm really excited to address this topic with you. So what are we gonna do today? We are going to talk about what's similar between trauma and PDA. We're gonna talk about what's different. Then we're gonna talk about whether it can be both, whether it's a binary question. Then I'm gonna give you guys a little bit about what I don't know about this question. And then we're gonna finish with, well, what can I do about it? All right, so let's get started. I'm gonna talk about a story that illustrates this question, which I think may resonate with many of you who have joined us today. Okay, so when my son started moving into nervous system burnout, which I did not understand or know about at the time, I was observing behaviors and reactions that seemed very outside of the norm of what other people had talked about, what I had read about in parenting groups, and intuitively how another child or human being would respond to me based on how I was acting, right? So, you know, I would try and soothe my son when he was activated for reasons that I didn't understand. So, for example, you know, I was like, okay, now it's time to clean up the toys before we eat dinner, and he would start having, you know, like a fight response. Like he would start growling and hissing and throwing things. And then he would start screaming if I went towards him. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know anything other than to say things like, you know, we don't behave like that in this house. But I never yelled. I never put my hands on him. I never, you know, raised my voice even, really. I was just trying to like sort of respond in what I thought was appropriate parenting to not reinforce like hissing, growling, breaking things, screaming, right? But every time I responded in a way that I thought was normal as a parent, he would escalate to the point where he would tip over and go into these feral screaming meltdowns where he would like cower in corners and he looked like a wounded animal, right? So like if I would approach him, he would lash out and it was almost like he wasn't there it looked like a child who had been abused, like that's what kept coming into my head. And I said this to my husband, I was like, this is way beyond what, you know, I is even within my realm of experience, but I have read about traumatized children and abused children in novels, (laughs) in the newspaper. And these are the types of descriptions that, you know, are actually describing our son and So I was, like, very confused, and we actually discussed, like, well, could something have happened at daycare? Like, did something happen? Was there an abuse situation? We actually explored this because we were like, nothing in our home falls into the category of what I thought of as trauma, right? We didn't have neglect or abuse. My husband and I are not reactive people, when I am reactive, I turn it inwards. Like we never raise our voices. We don't lose our tempers in that sense. My husband is like probably the most patient, quiet man on the planet, sometimes to a fault where I'm like, I can't hear you. You know what I mean? So we just didn't get it. And we were like, but this is the behavior that comes from abuse. Okay. And other families I've worked with, other clients have had this same Story of like, we thought something happened. Like, did the babysitter or nanny abuse them, or what happened when it wasn't under our watch? So, this is not an uncommon question. And then we also have this question with families who have, you know, the overlap of things like pans or pandas, which is an autoimmune response to like strep where it affects the nervous system and you see fight, flight, freeze behaviors, and then they have to do all this medical stuff with the child. So they're like, is this medical trauma? Is this PDA, etc." So this is a very, very good question. It's one I get a lot. So I'm glad that we're talking about it together. So let's get some clarity together, which is why we're here. So first I wanna talk about how PDA and trauma are incredibly similar in some ways okay and i drew a visual for you guys because i'm a dork and i love doing that stuff okay so if we're looking at x this is the cause like what is causing the y which is the behavior fight flight freeze what we see on the outside okay so and this is what's going on in the inside so the x is the question mark of like why are we seeing fight flight freeze behavior on the surface and what's going on inside their body. So this and this are the same. PDA and trauma are the same. So what's going on in the inside? Let's talk about that first. So when, whether or not it's trauma or PDA, what's going on inside the body is physiological. So if it's a fight flight response, regardless of the X, we don't know the X, the fight flight is body perceives it's gonna die for some reason, okay? So the brain is just telling the body, I'm gonna die, set off all our physiological defenses to get ready to fight our way out of it or run from the lion, okay? So what we're gonna have is we're gonna have adrenaline coursing through the body, we're gonna have cortisol released, we're gonna have the metabolism speed up, potentially vomit, diarrhea, digestive issues, because if you're running from a lion, you don't want additional weight, So you get rid of excess fluids, blood races to the extremities, pupils dilate so you can see danger. This is physiological. This is what's going on inside the body, whether it is a trauma response or PDA. Okay, so this is the same, 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 same. If it's freeze physiologically, what do we have? We have the perception that we can't take action through fight or flight because maybe we're an antelope and we've been caught by the lion. Okay, so we can't run, we can't fight, we're an antelope. So what does the survival mechanism in the body do? Plays dead, freeze. So what happens physiologically? Instead of adrenaline and cortisol, we release endorphins, which makes it more like a shock situation. So if the antelope does get bit, it's not gonna feel as much pain. The blood rushes away from the extremities towards the core. So if the antelope gets bit, it loses less blood. And the freeze is in order to signal to the lion, hey, I'm a dead animal, like predator, you don't want to eat me. Okay, so this is what happens in the body of a child. And I think speaking of children, mine might be coming in, which I already said might happen. Totally fine. But back to what I was saying. Okay, so fight, flight, freeze, physiological, physiological, inside the system. This is what's going on if you're having a trauma response or a threat perception as a PDA brain. Okay, so same, same, same. Here we go. That's this part. That's what's going on inside the body of a child or you if you're PDA or traumatized. Now let's talk about the why, which is the outcome, which is the fight, flight, freeze behavior on the outside. Okay, so what is that? This is what we see. In fight, we see hissing, growling, hitting, biting, screaming, attacking, kicking, headbutting, all the things, okay? That's fight. If it's an older teen or even adult, you might just have more verbal aggression, okay? Flight, what do we see? This is the why, what we see, the effect, we see climbing on windowsills, we see climbing on the edge of couches, we see children running out the front door towards the street, which is like what my son used to do a lot. We see hiding under bed, we see climbing away from you in the car or the van on a way to school, climbing on top of a car or a van to get away from you, (laughs) they don't want to go into school or withdrawal okay so the third behavior that we see the why is crying disassociative look non-responsive selective mutism withdrawal lethargic non-responsive limp body which you, you know that used to happen with my son too it's not binary where i'd be trying to get him up the stairs for bedtime and his entire body would go limp right freeze response so we have with trauma and pda those two things that are the same the physiology and the behavioral outcome however what's different the root the root cause the x okay so trauma and pda have two different roots and this is important to understand because there even though there's a lot of overlap and we're going to talk about that there are two different root causes and deep y's that set off that physiological mechanism and then result in the behaviors that you're seeing, okay? So why don't we first talk about trauma to clarify it? And again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm going to be speaking from the perspective of a a well-researched parent to another parent. Of course, if you're a clinician on this live, love that you're here. You're probably going to be like, you know, I would have used a different terminology. And that's great because that's your job. My job is to help parents. So I like to talk about things in the simplest way possible so it gets you guys clarity. But it is based on the literature on trauma and polyvagal theory because that is something I leverage to help parents in the work that I do. Okay, so let's talk about trauma. Trauma has a before and after, Okay, it is an event or sequence of events that causes the perception of a couple things. It's a repeated activation of the nervous system, there's the perception in the brain that it is an inescapable situation. And there is an ascribed meaning to it and whether or not something encodes as trauma depends on the landscape of the brain okay how vulnerable is the brain and this has a lot to do with a lot of different things it has to do with the neurotype and neurology of the individual it has to do with how healthy the individual is how resourced they are in terms of the context of like do they have enough to eat, do they have a family present, etc. Okay, there are different things that can happen that can cause trauma. And there are certain things that might cause trauma for one child and not another, depending on the landscape. But generally, we can think of things like neglect, abuse, accidents, natural disasters, those are the things that we generally think of as a traumatic experience, okay? There are also more subtle forms of traumatic experiences that have to do more with the landscape of the brain, like, for example, a neurodivergent brain who experiences threat every time a child is, you know, in a sensory environment that is really loud and they perceive that they cannot escape. They don't understand why it's happening. Their body is setting off these physiological responses, and that can be over time traumatic, whereas the landscape of a neurotypical brain might be annoyed by those loud sounds, but it's not going to encode as trauma, okay? So the thing that is important about this is that the before and after, what happens in the before to cause the trauma has meaning ascribed to it, the sense of inescapability, and there are evocative cues that stem from the traumatic incident or incidents. What do I mean by evocative cues? What I mean is sensory-based experiences like smells, sounds, sights, repeated visuals that evoke a previous trauma and therefore set off this causal pathway sets off the physiology in the moment even if it's not traumatic in that moment and cause this right so let me give you guys an anecdote from a book i read and i'll drop the citation after i finish the live um it's called what happened to you and it's written by dr perry and actually oprah it's conversations about trauma i recommend it but the anecdote is about a child in foster care who was living in a boy's home and going to classes with the other boys and was actually like quite a good student, very involved in the classroom, never having any behavioral issues. But when he had a new teacher, I think it was like fourth grade, anytime the teacher would speak to him, come near him, ask him questions, respond to his work, he would start swearing, throwing things, having this big fight reaction. And it was unclear what was happening, right? So like, let's just look on the surface. That behavior sounds a lot like some PDA kids, right? Because it's fight behavior, what we see on the outside. But this particular anecdote was about trauma. So what was happening? As they explored with this clinical psychologist who specializes in trauma and was having meetings with the father who had been abusive to the boy, and it's why he was in foster care, the clinical psychologist realized that the deodorant that the father was wearing was the exact same deodorant, and therefore smell, of this lovely male teacher. So the boy was having this subconscious evocative cue of the sensory experience that told his brain, hey, you're back where you were when you were with your father in an inescapable situation being neglected and abused, so of course he's going to have a trauma response. The solution? Change the deodorant because it changes the evocative cue. If this child had been PDA, evocative cues signaling or harkening back to a moment of trauma would not exist. It would have been the question itself and the fact that the teacher was putting himself over or above in stature or authority that was activating that threat response. Okay. So two very different X's or root causes. So with PDA there isn't necessarily a before and an after, although it might feel like that from the perspective of a parent, because it might feel like all of a sudden your child became PDA or your teen became PDA. What this is, is not a before and after in the sense of like something happened, but rather it is a reflection of the fact that they are born with the neurotype and their brain perceives threat setting off that physiological response and the behaviors, but not necessarily always the behaviors, especially if it's internalized. It might just be staying here in the beginning when they're younger, just here. You're not getting to here, okay? So over time, that builds towards a threshold. And when they tip past that threshold of tolerance for nervous system activation, that's when we start to see the constant fight, flight, freeze reactions no matter the stimuli and impacting basic needs access, okay? So that is often interpreted as like, my child regressed and became autistic. They just became PDA or something happened, but really it's about the accumulation over time and then how we respond to it, which is often behavioral, and so it keeps activating them, okay? So PDA is a survival drive for autonomy or equality that is wired into how the brain works. OK, so every time the limbic system, which is the same part of the brain that perceives threat, if it's like a natural disaster or a car crash, this part perceives the same level of danger based on the perception, subconscious perception of do I perceive that this person, place or thing is above me and an authority and trying to make me do things that I don't want to do. It's not conscious. Or do I not have freedom and choice? So think about it. Every time the brain perceives that, it tells the body, hey, set off all those physiological mechanisms. And eventually you're going to start to see the why, which is the behaviors, right? So of course, these children often also have trauma. Why? Because This mechanism is going on all the time, but what we see as parents on the outside is misbehavior and avoidance. So what do we do? We enlist (laughs) traditional parenting, traditional therapy, traditional education to extinguish the behavior. How do we do that? We put ourselves above them, double down on the rules, make it more strict, and we precipitate the exact same mechanism of the physiological response over and over and over until they reach their threshold of tolerance or hit burnout. So imagine that over and over and over again as the child. They don't understand why it's happening. And so of course their brain is going to perceive it's inescapable and ascribe meaning to the fact that like their body is going off with a survival response and they can't stop it. Okay, which is why in the Paradigm Shift program and in coaching, we work so hard in a whole module on like developing healthy self-concept and understanding and awareness of what's going on for the child so that it's not perceived as inescapable. And the meaning ascribed isn't like, I'm a bad person, I'm going to continually always be in this situation, and I have no idea why, and people are responding to me like I'm a behavioral problem. So, yes, Of course, it can be both. And let me talk to you about my examples with my son where it's both. (laughs) Meaning, yes, it can be both trauma and PDA. Okay? So, for example, when I was caregiving for both kids by myself during the pandemic without any caregiving support or any support because, like, we literally didn't leave the house or have anyone else come in for months and months and months. We had just moved to Michigan. My husband was working crazy hours. It was just me. Okay? So one of the things and you might have heard this story before but one of the th- one of the flashpoints in our family before I fully understood PDA was closed doors okay that would be incredibly activating for my PDA son so anytime even if we had like my husband was on caregiving after he finished his work day and I was trying to like write my journal in the bedroom and just have a moment My son would try and break down the door and like physically be next to me and like climb all over me and sometimes equalize against me. And I didn't understand this, but all I wanted was like some space to myself. So I would try and keep the door shut and my husband would try and like distract him and keep him out. And additionally, I had a baby at the time and like early toddler. And so I'd be trying to put him down for naps during the day and have a moment to like transition him into the crib. But my PDA son would come in and he would like play with the baby and try and get in and out of the crib and start taking the books off the shelf and all the things. And so I would try and shut the door and he would actually try and break it down. He would sit on his back and bang with his knees and scream because of this closed door. And I did not understand this mechanism of like, he's perceiving a loss of autonomy because he can't go to the other side of the door. And he is perceiving a loss of the safe nervous system. I didn't get this at the time. So I kept trying to close the door. Is closing a door the same thing as a hurricane where your house gets blown away? Of course not. But in his brain, it was perceived as traumatic, okay? Because it was inescapable. He ascribed meaning of like, my body's not safe. And it happened over and over and over again. So to remedy it when i finally understood we had to experiment with not having closed doors which meant a lot more like long co-regulation periods not as great naps etc cetera, etc cetera. but for a long time afterwards the closed door itself as a visual cue was an evocative cue of that trauma the same thing is true for school right where school itself like they're not getting abused. They're not getting neglected in the sen- the traditional sense of the word. They're, there's not like a fire at the school. But over and over and over again, their amygdala in the limbic system is perceiving, and in the body, danger, 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 danger. And then naturally, because <laughs> we don't understand it at first, we keep encouraging them to go to school, right? And everyone else around us is telling them, telling us they have to get used to it, just drop them off, they'll get used to it. Like if you just leave, you know, you guys have all heard it. I've heard it too. And so what happens without intending, it causes trauma because there's a sense of inescapability, there's an ascribed meaning to it, and it's setting off the physiological response in the body. So then we have the evocative cues of the traumatic school experience on top of PDA. Okay, so like for my son and many clients, children and teens who I've worked with, there's the evocative cue of even the word school or driving next to the school where the child will start screaming or say, stop talking about that because it's both, right? It's the PDA brain and the evocative cue, which is traumatic. Okay, I really want to clarify though, because I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Does this mean I traumatize my child? And how could you say that, Casey? Because I've literally, I'm just gonna say how I would have felt five years ago if I heard that statement. I am the best mom ever i i play with my kids a hundred times more than anyone else i'm always paying attention to my kid i do everything i possibly can i watch other families and they're just hanging out with their kids and they're on their cell phones at the parks and like i put in so much more effort than anyone else so how could you possibly say i'm traumatizing my kid they have everything they could possibly need so that's a natural response and I respect it. What I want to say is like, of course, you're an amazing parent. And I know you've worked harder than any other parent in your peer group. And I know you've been judged along the way. However, our children often have trauma, not because of you, but because of our societal conditioning around therapy, education and parenting. Okay, so there's three things I see that cause children with PDA or PDA children to activate to the point where they hit nervous system burnout, which is essentially complex trauma, okay? School, behavioral therapy, or ABA, or behaviorally based parenting that you double down on, which is what I did. So I just want to normalize this. And this is what I would say to you if we were in coaching, or if we were in the paradigm shift program together, like, I would say like, society traumatized your child. And also, we've all been there like we've all traumatized our children because if we hadn't like if I had started out as a gentle child-led unschooling completely radically different neurodiversity affirming parent I probably never would have known that my kid was neurodivergent because he would have just like not reached his threshold and burned out so dramatically and so I kind of view it as like, it's the cosmic kick in the ass that we need to like radically shift things. And so we really just want to be compassionate and take away the blame that we have for ourselves because this is the story. This is the story and the journey of parents. Like if you don't get to this point, you're probably not here and you're probably not ready to take action to like dramatically unlearn. All of the conditioning and face all of the judgment that you will face if you're going to go in a really different direction okay here's what I don't know and I'm just gonna be super honest about this how much of this is genetic okay so like I believe PDA is genetic like autism or other neurotypes I have seen that borne out in the patterns when I coach families of like and this is a seed I want to plant with you guys I would say about one-tenth of the families in the paradigm shift program, one or more parents through the course of the program, realizes that they're potentially PDA themselves or that one of their, and then another 10 or more percent that one of their parents was undiagnosed PDA. And that's why they might have some childhood trauma or fawning, perfectionism, um, people pleasing tendencies or codependent, high functioning codependent, or that their partner is PDA potentially. Okay. So this is genetic. I'm sure of it, right? It's not just like a advocacy or philosophical thing. It's like, I see the data in the work that I've been doing over the last years of like, of course, this is genetic. How could you possibly have these patterns randomly based on the incidence of the population of autism and neurodiversity? It's, it's a non-random pattern. Okay. So, however, what I don't know, so sometimes I think of it as like, there's trauma woven through family stories at the same time there's neurodivergence, right? And so sometimes it can be really hard to parse, like that there's intergenerational trauma coming through and coming out with PDA children. And there's this genetic component, and it's hard to discern what's what. And there's also a pattern I've noticed, which is how many, myself included, mothers have experienced like severe birth trauma or pregnancy trauma, medical trauma. And sometimes I wonder, and I've talked to an autistic physician about this, of like, well, maybe my son was genetically autistic and had that neurotype in utero, but because he already had that sensitive nervous system, because he was neurodivergent and then experienced trauma through birth, maybe that activated something within his neurotype to be PDA. This is something I don't know. I'm just riffing in a non-scientific way because of the patterns that I've noticed in my work. Okay, finally, so what do we do about it, right? like. What if we still don't know? What if we can't discern, is it an evocative cue? Did they have trauma? Is there a before and after? Or were they born this way because it used to be better, but all of a sudden they're like having these big meltdowns and they're not eating and they're not sleeping, etc. cetera. So here's the good news. The good news is, is that much of the approach that I teach parents on this page in my programs in coaching is based on polyvagal theory and the trauma literature. Okay, so let's talk about some parallels. For example, there's a concept of the threshold of tolerance that I use in PDA, which is just like, every human has a threshold of tolerance for how much they can be activated in their nervous system before they tip over into like PTSD or burnout. That's just human. Our kids have potentially a lower threshold of tolerance, but this threshold of tolerance is taken from the concept of a window of tolerance in the trauma literature which means we wanna develop a window so that even though our child still has this neurotype, still activates when they perceive a loss of autonomy or equality, if their cumulative stress is below the threshold, when they do activate, they're not gonna tip over into feral meltdown and not being able to toilet, okay? But what does that require? Accommodating the root cause, okay, to get them below the threshold. So. The next concept, which if you want to dive into it, like The Whole Brain Child is a great book to dive into because it talks about the thinking brain and the survival brain, which I just call frontal lobe and limbic system. Okay. What we can actually do when we're in these different parts of the brain. Our children are not often here, whether they have trauma or PDA, they're here. So they can't learn They can't rationalize, they can't empathize, and we're trying to teach them things and behaviorally condition them out of a trauma response. It's just not going to work. That's based on the literature, okay? It's not philosophical parenting here. It's brain science. So much of what I do is trauma-informed, meaning some of the accommodations like undivided attention, co-regulation, child-led play... Sensory-based tools, like all of those overlap quite a bit, lowering demands overlap quite a bit with trauma-informed approaches. However, there are other accommodations that we learn in the Paradigm Shift Program or Progress with PDA that actually are specific to the root cause of PDA. Like for example, take autonomy, right? We have to provide our child our children more autonomy than feels natural right for a traumatized child they might actually need a little bit more strict transparent and static boundaries in order to feel safe after tr- trauma versus a pda child who with a different root cause where that will activate them more additionally something like declarative language this is not to say declarative language couldn't be great for a traumatized child but like specifically for a pda child When you ask them a direct question, it activates the amygdala and says, hey, you're in danger. Why? Because it's perceived as a loss of autonomy and equality because you chose to ask them a question. They didn't consent to it and they weren't expecting it. The same might not be true for a traumatized child. That would not be an evocative cue necessarily for them. Okay, so these are overlapping approaches, but it's like a Venn diagram, <laughs> right, where, where there are differences. There are differences between, like, a child in foster care with trauma and how you approach them who's not PDA and a PDA child. So what everything I do is designed around is PDA okay what i want for you guys is to have the opportunity the unique opportunity to isolate this one root cause okay because frankly no one else is going to encourage you to do that (laughs) they're not going to have you dive in and be like no we really have to go in on these types of accommodations to lower that perceived threat around autonomy and equality and then over time you can observe with your own two eyes as a parent the data about how much how much does this change how much does the fight flight freeze go down through accommodations of course we're also going to have a healing component right where you're healing the relationship you may be creating new neural pathways but one thing i always say to parents is like you're not healing pda that's always going to be there okay You can heal trauma, you can't heal a neurotype. Sometimes we don't know where the overlap is, okay? So if you want a comprehensive, holistic, focused opportunity that gives you a long-term approach to really go all in, on the new paradigm of working through nervous system accommodations and autonomy and equality lens and nervous system safety for your child so that you can collect data and get clarity while in a supportive environment. This is the design of the Paradigm Shift program. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website, www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child, and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.